the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton. Mr. Burton, how are you? Great. How are you? Good. Um, we're doing an event coming up on income in retirement, and that looks like a lot of different things to different people. Um, some people just, they're thinking bonds are going to do it. Some people think it's going to be, I have so much cash, I could just go to the bank and pull out what I need when I need it. A lot of people don't understand how 401ks and 403bs need to be withdrawn legally so as not to get hit with taxes and penalties. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this, uh, this, this idea of what, why it looks different to different people. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a couple ways to look at it. I mean, there's the financial independence way where... I think this is where a lot of millennials are looking at in terms of retirement planning isn't even a word for them anymore, it seems. It's how can I save enough in either individual stocks or real estate or both or start a business that will pay me and I'll eventually be able to sell it. How can I get enough passive income to be able to retire and not have to work anymore? Um, a lot of older people, though, they've they've – Put money into 401ks and, and IRAs, and they have to deal with how much do you draw out of the different types of accounts, and when, and do you have enough? And you know, sometimes Rob, when I like the last webinar I did, I got a couple of emails saying, "Hey, could you not show one with a, a two million dollar example?" But a two million dollar example, if somebody's living in the Bay Area and they need 100 grand a year for their portfolio um, through most of their retirement, they're going to need at least that assuming they have Social Security and other assets, because um, I don't think a lot of people realize how expensive retirement can be. I think that's the biggest issue. And I think that's also just, to be fair, I think that's people living in denial. Um, right. Of the, they didn't do enough. Not denial of how much it costs. Like, I didn't start until I was 45, and everything's going to be okay. No, it's probably not in the Bay Area. So one of your 10 pillars of retirement income planning is to have a detailed cash flow projection. Other than income and expenses going up with inflation, what else goes into that projection? 
Well, and, and you know, we've talked about expenses before. I mean, obviously, that's part of your detailed projection. You got to show your kind of your automatic income sources. You got to show your real estate income. You got to show your dividends and interest income, IRA income. So, besides healthcare costs, some other you know expenses that people forget to project is travel plans, which are typically pretty heavy the first five to ten years, and then slow later on. So, it's not a straight line. People forget to put things in there like a new car, believe it or not. I mean, okay. they think they're going to drive the same car forever. The other way that you could do it is a perpetual lease payment if you're that type that doesn't drive a lot and likes to drive the new car every you know, three years or so. What about weddings for your kids? Um, people forget about tax issues when they sell stocks and pull money out. So Christmas. what goes into the details, each taxable account, for example, people are getting their 1099s right now. So each taxable account that you have, um, it's got a certain asset allocation. It's got a certain amount of funds and ETFs that kick off capital gains and dividends and interest. So those have to be shown in your plan because they affect your taxes. Our software has um, very sensitive uh, tax projections in it so that your detailed cash flow projections aren't just a my expenses are going up at 3% and my portfolio is earning a straight 6 or 7 which doesn't happen because the market very rarely returns between 8 and 11%. It's usually much higher or much lower. Um, and then when I run these detailed projections, the first thing I do is I, I assume that you don't take your IRA, any IRA money out until 70 and a half. Um, because, and most software assumes that you do that, online planning software. Because then we want to see what happens to your tax bracket at 70 and a half where you're forced to pull money out of your IRAs, 401ks, and 403bs. If there's a big jump, then we know that between retirement and 70 and a half, we have to pull, start pulling money out. It also allows me in the first several years of retirement to see, based on your income sources like Social Security, pensions, rentals, or whatever, how much, if I don't do anything with the portfolio yet, how much do I need to pull out of the portfolio each year and remember, I need three years of that in safe money. So the detailed cash flow projection is also the starting point for your asset allocation because the, the key to your asset allocation in retirement is having your three years where the portfolio draws in cash. And then we next determine in this cash flow projection, okay, so here's the tax bracket at 70.5 with the IRAs. If we, we convert a little bit each year to a Roth or take it out and spend it, is that a better long-term cash flow position or, or uh, tax situation for the client? So the, the detailed cash projection, it, it's the key to everything. It actually, it's okay. number 10 on my list on the download, but it actually is one of the first things that you have to do before you do the other steps to see whether or not you can hold off on Social Security till 70, uh, your asset allocation, how long your money's gonna last. It, it's, it's the key. And the reason why it's number 10 is because you continue to have to do it every year. Every year you look at your detailed cash projection versus your original one. Are you on track or are you off track? Can you increase your withdrawals with inflation? It's, it's really a key to the whole process, Rob. So should we jump to pillar number seven? Sure. Do it. So you always talk about living past 100 or living up to 100, and that to me is just a crazy idea. But it's protecting yeah. against longevity. We've got about a minute or two. Let's get into this. Yeah, okay, so we just saw the 117-year-old Japanese woman with her 98-year-old son on TV. Um, Crazy. That could be you. You don't I, know. I don't like that. No, I don't like that. <laughs> I, don't, with, uh, I don't know how much control you'll have over at that point in your life, but um, you could live a lot longer. 
And the recently actuaries just increased the average life expectancy by 10%. Um, So one of you could live that long. And you got to have 20% of your income from sources you can't outlive besides Social Security. And usually it's some of the bond alternatives that we use that do that. So you typically take some money that's supposed to be in bonds, which aren't earning a lot right now, and we put it in products where either an insurance company or a um, uh, you know FDIC insured guarantees the income for the rest of your life, regardless of what the portfolio does. The key is is you want to look for no-load versions of this because if interest rates change and go up, I'm going to want to get out of them and use other sources. So we talk a lot about that at the at the event. Okay. Um, we've got about a minute left. Anything else that you want to hit on in the segment? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, if people download that that uh, topic, the 10 Pillars of Retirement Income Planning at the website, uh, chadburton.com or newfocusfinancial.com, there's 10 pillars, but they all kind of work together. Um, okay. For example, you know, maximizing Social Security is a huge part of what is your asset allocation? What does your safe money need? Depends on when you start taking Social Security. It also is part of planning for your surviving spouse and maxing out the benefits for the largest check so that no matter who lives the longest, the largest check, check is maximized and the survivor will always have the larger check. That's CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. He and I are doing an event called the 10 Pillars of Retirement Incoming. Uh, it's a planning event kind of thing. It's a pretty good event. It's at the Marriott at the Walnut Creek. It's going to be Thursday, March 12th from 630 to 9. Uh, retirement planning is more complicated than ever. It can be hard to know where to begin. Focusing on just a few essential issues will increase your chances of enjoying a successful, secure retirement future. Trust me, you do not want to be the person who does not have income in retirement. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. You can sign up for the event at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. I know financial shows aren't quite, you know, yuck yucks at times, so I get it. It takes some effort to educate yourself and get you to retirement or get you to that Hawaiian vacation or get you ahead of your neighbor. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton. Chad, you mentioned on a recent webinar, and we're going to do a seminar coming up in Walnut Creek on the 12th of this month. People can sign up for it on income and retirement at robblack.com or newfocusfinancial.com. You mentioned on a recent webinar, monetary policy is crushing the returns of retirees and putting the 4% draw rule in danger. What do you mean by that? It sounds intimidating. Well, yeah, I did, you know, when I got into the business in the early 90s, that's kind of when the 4% draw rule 
you know, got a lot of popularity in terms of set up a balanced portfolio. If you draw 4% a year, you'll be able to adjust it for inflation and, and have enough money to live till the day you die. And there were some studies behind it, Nobel Prize and all sorts of stuff like that. And it, here's the deal. What I show, and I'll show it at this event as well, is a slide of where not only the 10-year treasury used to, where it was yielding, well, let's look at it in 2007, it was yielding over 5% on the 10-year treasury. And in the 90s, it was closer to 6% on the 10-year treasury, which affects everything from what is my, what are my CDs earning, what are my bonds paying, what a corporate bonds have to pay to attract people to be out of the treasury and into a corporate bond to take a little bit more risk. And uh, so CDs and bonds are paying a lot less. The dividend yield back in the 90s on the S&P 500 was closer to 4%. Now it's under 2 So both the 10-year treasury and dividend yield in the S&P 500 are around 2%. So they're about half of what they used to be. Now, I will say on the S&P 500, it's a bit different um, because you could still get decent returns. Some of it's going to be for growth. But retirees are going to have to be used to less passive income and a bit more volatility as they tilt towards equities in a low interest rate environment. And, you know, you ask, okay, the economy here is doing well. Why are rates still so low? Well, the monetary policy in Japan and the European Central Bank, they're trying to devalue their currency. So people that have money in a euro or a yen, they want to get out of that and hide in the U.S. So they, they exchange into the U.S. dollar. The dollar goes up. Once they're in U.S. dollars, they have to park the money in bonds, which are treasuries. So the price of the treasuries can, are, you know, go up and the interest rates stay low. So you have a lot of foreign demand that's, that's coming in here. So we could see rates be pretty low as a result of this. Um, for, for what's, interesting for about that, what's interesting to note about that, Chad, I'll give you the stock angle on that. Mm -hmm. As soon as we start seeing a European recovery... It's going to hurt U.S. stocks. It's the almost exact opposite of what you're talking about, money flowing, coming into the United States, keeping rates low. Yep. But as soon as people see that little signs of green in Europe, they're going to pull money out of our stock market and put it in their stock market. Just worthy yeah. of note. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're starting to see that happen. I mean, you've had a pretty, pretty good performance of uh, international developed stocks in the last several months. Um, and if you look at some of the currency hedged versions of ETFs, some of which I own, um, they've been doing really well, um, and that's the key. It's, it's, it's an investor. You have to stay diversified. People always try to compare their portfolio to the S&P 500, which has been the best place to be over the last five years, which tells me it probably isn't going to be the best place to be. Now, I still you know, am not going to take an overweight European equities versus U.S. because there's still some great, great companies. But in terms of where's the best place to be, it, it might not be the S&P. I mean, you're trading it. You know, 17 to 19 times future earnings, it's, it's fairly valued at this point. You got some massive amount of monetary stimulus overseas. What happened to our market? Um, so that's what a lot of, of what you're hearing in financial media. Now, with that said, Mario Draghi also just said that what they're doing now, which, you know, the bond buying is going to start on the 9th, what they're doing now isn't going to be enough to, to create massive growth. He said that today. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. Marching forward, um, if people are willing to delay retirement, how can they really be safe? And again, if you don't have enough money to retire at 62, don't jump on that social security bandwagon until you're put it off as long as you can, hopefully till 70. 
Yeah, and the other thing that people have to do is stress test their portfolio. You know, what happens to your longer-term projections if you go through a three-year bear market right at the beginning of retirement? Um, so that, that's one thing that you have to be aware of, the different scenarios that you can occur that, that can occur. Um, you can use things like Monte Carlo simulation to, to go back and look at many, many different orders of returns. Um, I like to, though, be a bit more conservative and just use conservative rates of return, have your safe money, maintain a balanced portfolio. And, you know, there's two ways to do it, though. If you're, if you're willing to delay retirement and be really, really safe, you can take the financial independence route, which says, okay, I'm going to continue to save and work and invest until the dividends from my stocks and the income from my real estate are well more than enough. They're about 105% more of what I need to live. And that way, you know, you've built enough assets that are paying you. So if your stocks are going up and down, but you're owning dividend achiever stocks, you always buy stocks that have a history of increasing their dividend by 10% a year. If they miss a dividend increase, you sell it and buy one that does. Um, the more conservative approach for those people that cannot handle that type of volatility, they can't stand it when a portfolio has a momentary drop of 20%, they stay in that, maintain that balanced portfolio, but they save and work long enough so that they can be comfortable in the first years of retirement drawing 3% of their portfolio or 3.5%. Um, so that they can, you know, leave more in there for later years if there's mediocre returns or higher than expected inflation since we've had, we've had low inflation. So just be conservative on your projections. Realize how much retirement costs. It's, it's, it's got health care costs and years and years of living. We're building up to a seminar on income and retirement investing with CFP Chad Burton coming up uh, very, very soon. Uh, we've got about a minute and a half. It's obviously the next seminar is on the 12th of this month. I'll give information in just a second. But describe a bit more about what goes into the stocks side of a retiree's portfolio. It's almost easier to start back at what goes into building your financial base. And I like broad-based index funds and ETFs. Um, you know, we've always been over 250000 as a firm in, in terms of account minimum, but just launching my first 250k.com to help people get started in low cost, uh, no trading fee ETFs. Um, so you can check that out. So I like everybody's base to be broad-based index funds, low cost exposure to the broad market. Then you start adding things like um, managed funds once you get over 250k in, in international and emerging markets and small cap. And eventually, when you get over 500000 that's when we like to start the, adding the individual stocks. That's where you can get enough exposure into an individual security to make a difference in either dividend yield or growth. Um, so you kind of stair-step it. And so okay. hopefully, if you're retiring, you're retiring with over five hundred k, and you have gotcha. um, that. In addition to, I also like several smart beta or strategic beta ETFs. Wrap it up. And uh, it's kind of in between managed and, and indexed. The CFP Chad Burton. You can sign up for the 10 Pillars Retirement Income Planning Seminar at the Marriott on March 12th, 6.30-9. Sign up at newfocusfinancial.com. It's newfocusfinancial.com.
joining me now, Chris Siaccia, the technology editor with TheStreet.com. Always good to talk with Chris. Uh, he and I both have a love, and we get to talk about technology. Uh, what a great career. Uh, Chris, how are you? I'm good, Rob. How are you? I'm good. I'm a little bit nervous. I'm a shareholder of Apple, and we're talking about something that makes me a little bit nervous. The Apple Watch coming on Monday, as far as not delivered, but the big press conference. Yeah, it's, it's, it, there's, a, there's quite a few unknowns going into Monday. And obviously, you know, Apple's come out and showed the public and the media and investors what some of the what, what some of the things the Apple Watch can do, but there's still a question of whether a lot of people are going to buy it. I'm of the mindset that sales will, but given that Apple is going to be secretive at least initially and not reveal sales like it does with the iPhone or the Mac or the iPad, you know, there's a little bit of skepticism about whether Apple actually really believes in this product as, you know, being a big driver for the company going forward. I think it scales to the upside. I think, you know, this year we could potentially see, you know, on the upside of 25 million units. But I think the bigger issue right now in terms of just um, sales is, you know, the, the high end Apple Watch the one that's going to cost, you know, roughly around $10,000. If you and I are going to buy this watch and pay $10,000, is it going to be obsolete in two years? I think that's a big question that Apple has to answer right now. I think it's okay to be obsolete in two years, and I'll tell you why. I think Apple has become a luxury company, a lot like um, women's purses, luxury purses, where women, they don't throw them away after two years, but they give them away or they give them to their sisters. They become hand-me-downs or something like that. And that may not be the best example, but I think that's one of the reasons they brought in the executive from Burberry. And I think that's one of the reasons they brought in an executive from Louis Vuitton Moet Hennessy is I think they're a luxury company and people will throw them away. Maybe, maybe not. I think you and I are, I'm not going to say we're too poor, but we're not you know, multi-multi-millionaires uh, to the tune that $10,000 is laughable. Could I be wrong, or do you see where I'm going at with that? No, I see what, what, where you're going, but I, I think that, I mean, watches are heirlooms, or especially the higher end, you know, your, your Rolexes, your Breitlings, your Patek Philippe's, those are generally passed down from generation to generation. Right. So That's fair. if if Apple is going to go into that market and 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 you know kind of take away market share from some of these companies, they have to be mindful of that. That if you know obviously you know people who are buying ten thousand dollar watches probably can afford to buy ten thousand dollar watches every couple of years, but is there going to be you know this big incremental increase um, from 2015 to say 2018? Or are they going to be able to, you know, pop the chip out and replace the chip every couple years for a few hundred bucks and keep the watch up to date? Because, you know, maintenance on those higher-end watches, you know, generally runs, you know, a few hundred dollars every couple of years. So Apple needs to be mindful of that. And, you know, again, if they want to cater to people who maybe can't afford um, a, a $10,000 watch every couple of years but, you know, really kind of want that, you know, as a keepsake, they have to be mindful of that as well. 
So my big concern, and we're hearing a lot in the last two or three weeks from developers, from we're hearing a lot of stories start to leak from Asia about the watch. My big concern is battery life. Um, I've got a little Fitbit on my hand that I love. It, it counts my 10,000 steps a day. It keeps me motivated to stay at this current weight. But I do have to charge it every four to six days. And I'm like, oh, got to take it off. Apple's watch, because it has so many sensors in it that we think it does, according to what developers are leaking, and developers are saying that Apple's making us throttle down the use of those sensors so that it doesn't run out of batteries in four hours, the battery life issue could become a very big issue. Uh, what are your thoughts on, or what are you hearing about battery life, and what's your personal opinion is? Are you ready to charge something once a day? You know, I, I don't think that's necessarily that much different than what people deal with with phones, especially on the iPhone. That's always been an issue um, for the iPhone is battery life. You know, would you take okay. the watch off, you know, when you go to sleep? If you put it in the case, it's going to charge. So, you know, I don't think it's that big of an issue. I think Apple's come out, or Apple will show a method, you know, so that battery life really isn't that big of a concern. Because you're right, that if I have to charge something, you know, once or twice a day to, to get it to work, then I think that that limits, you know, the amount of people who are going to be interested in the product. So I think that they're, they've actively worked, and, you know, I've seen, you know, a whole bunch of reports, and I've talked to a bunch of people whose sources of mine that this is a big issue for them. So I think they're really going to get hit home on Monday that battery life is not that big of a concern that everyone is making it out to be. Speaking with Chris Iacci of the street.com's tech editor, uh, what else are you hearing about the, the iWatch that we need to be aware of? Well, I think the biggest thing right now is, you know, a lot of people are wondering, you know, why am I going to buy a watch? I already have a phone. It tells time. It has a whole bunch of apps. You know, if I want to use it for health and fitness, my phone already has those apps. So, you know, why do I need to use that? Or why do I need to go out and plunk down a few hundred bucks or even more? And I think it come, boils down to two things. One, watches are generally a statement that people make. So at the higher end, the, the two higher or the two higher priced watches, the Sport and the Watch Edition, are going to cater more towards people who have a little bit extra money and want to show off, um, you know, make a statement. And then secondly, I think, I think they're going to really continue to hit home that it's a, a new way of communicating. And Tim Cook has kind of hammered the point here about this, but I, I suspect that they'll continue to hammer that point is that, you know, there are new ways to communicate on the watch and notifications. So, you know, there are, there is a there is something that people are going to want to have this watch for, and I suspect that you know it's a lot easier to look at your wrist than it is to to go into your pocket and look at the phone. I mean, it's, it's socially more acceptable to do that. So I think they're going to continue to hammer that point as well. So that's things that pe people really need to be in in uh, keep in the back of their minds when they're making this decision whether they will want to buy it or not. That's interesting that you bring that up because. A lot of the hot technologies right now are about new ways of communicating, whether it's visually with Instagram or Snapchat with text that disappear um, and or the um, app that WhatsApp where you can communicate with someone overseas in a kind of a walkie-talkie style communication. Can you speculate? Because I can't. For some reason, I, I sit there and I think about how is the Apple Watch going to – other than Dick Tracy, you and I talking to our wrists, can you speculate maybe some of the communication skills? 
skill sets or tools that might be part of what we comes cropping out of the Apple Watch? Well, they've already kind of announced some of that. Um, at okay. the event in September, they talked about ways to send, you know, short messages, you know, be text or emails on the watch so that you don't have to pull out your phone. Some of them are, you know, a bit more on the creative side, which is where Apple is always skewed. Apple's always, you know, catered towards creatives. And then seemingly everyone just decided to love them about 10 years ago or maybe even a little bit more with the introduction of the iPod. Um, so they've already come out and said, you know, some of these are shorthand communications, you know, that are fun, easy ways. And then obviously, you know, you have your standard yes, no, maybe, you know, responses. But there's more There's more to show off. And, you know, it's tough to speculate on what Apple has up its sleeve because, you know, this is the first product that I can remember um, in recent history where it hasn't, where it was announced, you know, six months before, um, uh, you know, before actually being announced or before actually being released, you know, the new iPad was announced in March of 2010, and I believe it came out in June, and the I but the iPhone was announced in January of 2007, but ultimately didn't get released for sale until in the summer, I believe. So this is the first time Apple's released a product in the past eight years. Um, where it's had, you know, multiple months to continue working on it and add more features. So I suspect they'll really hit home that point on, on Monday when, we, when they announce it. Thanks very much. That's Chris Siaccio with TheStreet.com. He is the tech editor. Apple's watch coming to you and me in April, but Monday in an event that's not so private and or, how shall we say, uh, secretive, as many of the events in the past have been, we're going to get the first look at, not the first look, but a very close look at what's going to be coming with the watch. Now, again, there's been some pretty big failures here with Samsung's wearables and Google's wearables. Um, Apple will have some modicum of success no matter what because there's people that will line up outside the stores. It's ridiculous to think about. I would line up outside of a record store for an album release. We would line up at Ticketmaster when concert tickets would go on sale. Now we just sit in front of our computer. The rock star of today, Apple. People are willing to camp out and wait in line in queues and be proud of that. I say go get a job, but with me, that's not so important, huh? In my opinion. Anyhow, you can find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Black talking all things financial. Billionaire entrepreneur Mark Cuban has recently come out and talked about how this bubble's worse than the bubble 15 years ago. 
saying that overvalued tech companies today are mostly private rather than publicly traded, and there's no liquidity there, and people are pitching apps. As, you know, a couple years ago, people, or 15 years ago, people were pitching, you know, hey, I just bought this website. Websites have replaced apps, or apps have replaced websites. Stock mil trading millionaires were minted by the week, if not sooner back then and now it's you know this app's going to make you know this great idea in a bubble there's always someone with a great idea pitching an investor the dream of a billion dollar payout and again last time it was broadcast.com or AOL or Netscape today it's Uber or Twitter or Facebook now for their part Twitter and Facebook are going after advertising dollars whereas Uber's going after the individual and, you know, businesses as well, but not necessarily the advertising angle. Um, this is going to be interesting because we're at NASDAQ 5000. We haven't been there for 15 years since the last bubble ended. Now, valuation-wise, it's totally different. We're much cheaper this time around than we were last time around. Cuban believes that angel investors and other private investors make more perilous plays than stock traders did 15 years ago, and that's kind of what he's getting at. If a stock in a company is worth what somebody will pay for it, what if the stock of a company is worth that there's no place to sell it? Um, I've got friends who are trying to burn through as much money to get revenue pushed up as fast as they can to show the world, like, look how great I can get acquisitions and clients. And that's not necessarily a good business plan. It may get you funded, but the business may not be there in the long term. Costco profit surges on lower fuel costs. Costco Wholesale reported better than expected 29% rise in earnings. They're the second largest retailer. You can get some pretty good deals at Costco on vacations, on tires. If you replace your car's tires every couple of years, I'd consider Costco membership just for that alone. Gasoline as well. The recent sharp decline in fuel cost was thought to help Costco's results because the prices that the retailer pays for gas were seen falling faster than the prices the retailer was charging consumers at the pump. So a little short-term phenomenon that will reset itself. Um, but Costco is a pretty good long-term investment. Earlier this week, the company said Citigroup and Visa won the sought-after contract for its credit card business. Costco will partner with Citi to issue a new co-branded card to replace the existing Amex Costco card. Costco was started in 1983 out of Seattle. It's got 671 locations around the world. Um, their customer base is loyal and affluent. Costco consumers, Costco customer consumers um, have an average income of $91,000 a year compared with the average household income of 68000 more than 90% of its customers renewed last year. So uh, pretty interesting and important company to study. Apple suppliers have been told to start production of a larger screen iPad in the second half of this year. As the tech giant wrestles with new designs and features for the enterprise market, Apple suppliers have been told, you know, go. Um, Asia doesn't tell a lot of lies if you have the right contract context there. Uh, Apple is now considering adding USB ports and adopting so-called USB 3.0 technology, a much faster version that promises to transfer data up to 10 times as rapidly as current USB ports. It is especially useful when users are transferring large amounts of data, such as backing up computers, to USB connected hard disks. 
Um, Apple's 9.7 inch iPad and 7.9 inch iPad mini don't have that USB port as of yet. So Apple continues to have to tinker uh, with what they're doing. Economically speaking today, jobless claims rose and productivity was revised down. That would again say the Federal Reserve looks like they are determined to raise interest rates this year. Maybe this is the chance for them to say, uh, maybe we'll slow that down just a skosh. Again, I wouldn't uh, go too crazy about that. You know, any one economic piece of data could be a blip tied towards weather, could be a blip tied towards a holiday. Uh, the number of Americans filing new claims for unemployment benefits last week rose to the highest level since May. And that could say a little bit of weakness in the labor market, but it's still one week's data. Uh, the pattern reflects the weather probably rather than the fundamental deterioration. Um, but you continue to watch it. Claims have been choppy in recent weeks because of public holidays and very snowy and cold February, President's Day. A lot of volatility. Underlying trend has remained consistent with a strengthening labor market is the thought there, though. Etsy, the crafts website, uh, is filed to come public. Amazon has a new one-hour delivery service in select cities, and it's pretty addictive. It's cheap, it's easy, it's insanely fast. You don't need to pay for the one-hour delivery to get your items in an hour. Um, you know, we're at the point, one hour delivery costs about $7.99. Um, <clears throat> that's not too bad. Um, I don't know. I think the right now the service is available in Manhattan and parts of Brooklyn. Um, maybe they roll that into Prime down the road. Um, the overall selection is obviously going to be smaller than what Amazon.com has. Like maybe you'll only get seven electric blankets instead of 500. Um, Uber has recently unveiled its delivery service called Rush that uses bike messengers to deliver items in Manhattan. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Don't forget I have a webinar. Not a webinar. I have a real seminar. Good golly. Come meet me in Walnut Creek, the 10 Pillars of Retirement Income Planning Seminar with CFP Chad Burton, Secrets to Tax Efficient Investing. It's going to be at the Marriott in Walnut Creek, Thursday, March 12th, 630 to 9. Sign up at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.